Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. There are so many people in this country who love curling. So many people in this country and who curl on a regular basis. And curling is a full gold medal Winter Olympic sport now. We're going to talk to the Canadian who had a great deal to do with curling becoming this full gold medal Olympic event and how that came to be, as well as the Canadian considered by many to be the greatest male curler of his generation and perhaps the greatest male curler of all time. Warren Hansen is the author of Sticks and Stones, The Battle for Curling to be an Olympic Sport. Warren was Director of Event Operations and Media Relations for the Canadian Curling Association. He also was Managing Editor of Extra Ends Magazine, Canada's national curling magazine for 30 years. Warren is in the Canadian Curling Hall of Fame as a curler builder. He is also in the World Curling Hall of Fame also as a builder. How are you, Warren? I'm great, Roy. Thank you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for getting in touch. Oh, it's a pleasure. Great to talk to you. Yes, sir. Kevin Martin began his victorious years as a curling champion by winning the Canadian Junior Championship in 1985. In 2010, Kevin Martin became the first Olympic skip to go through the entire tournament without losing a single match and winning the gold medal. Kevin is in the Canadian and World Curling Halls of Fame as a curler and operates the Kevin Martin Curling Academy in Edmonton. Honored to speak with you, Kevin. How are you? Oh, thank you very much. Great to be with you, Roy. Yes, sir. Um, I want to ask you about curling in a, in a in a little bit. I want to start with that, though. So, Kevin, in a national poll a few years ago, you were declared the greatest male curler of all time, and, and you won that gold medal, went undefeated at the Vancouver Olympic Games in 2010, the only skip to have accomplished this feat. What was it like to do that in your home country in Vancouver? What was that like? Yeah, what was it like? It was amazing. Um, you know what? The building was absolutely insane. Uh, Terry Jones, a really good writer, said that what it, what it sounded like to him was an aircraft taking off. That's how loud the building was. Wow. So, you know, that that's pretty special. That's something that stays in your mind forever. Uh, just that kind of uh, crowd and response in, in a sporting event. It was really something special. And that night, actually, Saturday evening, we wanted the, the last Saturday of the Olympic Games. And downtown Vancouver had 250,000 people partying downtown in Vancouver that evening. So it was just, it was crazy, it was wonderful, and uh, yeah, we were sure lucky to be able to have the opportunity to play in front of a terrific crowd like that. What a tremendous memory do you have uh, have with you, and I understand, because I've never curled, but I understand you uh, curlers know how to party. <laughs> so I've heard. <laughs> well, so I've heard. Well, you, yeah, you know, that, that is certainly the case back in the day. You know, these, these new players, they seem to be a little more disciplined than what we might have been in the past. But, but you're right. There's a, it's, a, it's a social sport, a lot like golf that way. Yeah. Uh, wonderful people involved. Uh, we make so many great friendships with the team that you're on, but also all around the world with teams that we played against. Yeah. So it's a very special sport that way. I'm sure it is. And the social interaction is so incredibly important because you make friendships for a lifetime and you have these memories that just last forever. It's like, you remember when you did this? Remember when you did that? <laughs> and the stories get bigger and better as you go along. Not for you because you want everything, but for people, you know, for the rest of us, kind of. Well, you know what? It's a case that, uh, yeah, you catch that fish and it goes from three pounds to four to five. And you're right, as the stories 
as the stories are told, they tend to get a little more exciting and a little better all the time. <laughs> <laughs> what was it somebody said? Don't stop me if you've, if, if you've heard this before, because I want to hear it again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Warren, you felt in the 1970s, and you were a great curler, an acknowledged great curler in this country and around the world. You felt in the 70s that curling wasn't receiving appropriate respect as a sport. And so you joined forces with Ray Kingsmith to get curling into the Olympics, first as a demonstration sport. How difficult was that? It was a, a huge battle to take on, and it started with a, a bug in both Ray's and my mind. Interesting enough, I was an Edmontonian, and he was a Calgarian. And that's one of the things that, that we could agree on was curling had to become better recognized and more mainstream. But curling at that point in time was an old boys game, and it was uh, it was a lot of tradition and a lot of just this is the way curling is. It it wasn't really thought by many to be a sport. Many people thought it was just a game participation, and so we had huge, huge mountains to overcome. So for it to ever become a medal sport in the Olympics was one of our wildest dreams. And when Calgary was awarded the games in 1982, we began to work down that road. But it was. It was a battle, and my book goes into details of the struggles and the difficulties that we had to try and bring a lot of people kicking and screaming to the fact that if we were going to get the recognition of the sport we wanted, a lot of things had to change. And fortunately, it was a battle. We got there eventually, but it, it wasn't easy. And your book is Sticks and Stones. Give us uh, an example of, of one of the battles. What was, what was one incident where you said, oh, my God, here we go again? Well, let me give you a very simple one. <laughs> okay. For the first 50 years of the Briar, the Canadian Championship, it was sponsored by a tobacco company, McDonald Tobacco, uh, which everyone was very thankful for. But in 1979, they withdrew from the Briar sponsorship for, for many reasons, government pressure being one of them. So in 1980, for the first time ever, uh, McDonald was not the sponsor of the Briar. So up until then, smoking was allowed on the ice. And believe me, it did happen on the ice. And uh, I took on the struggle then of trying to get curling or part because smoking not to be part of uh, the game at the 1980 Briar in Calgary. And it was a huge uproar. The fact that how dare would I, one year after McDonald was gone as a sponsor, would I suggest that smoking on the ice wasn't to be allowed? And it took even a few years for that to get accepted as being a way of life. So that's just one small example of the struggles we were in. Uh, there was no rule enforcement of any kind, officiating. Uh, there was a few statistics or records kept, and I can go on and on of things that we had to try to get changed if we would ever have a chance of the sport becoming Olympic. Boy, that takes uh, that takes a lot of commitment, dedication, and determination. Uh, Kevin, when you hear Warren talk about uh, you know how loosey goosey things were, what's it like today from the competitors' perspective? You're going to be doing color commentary, I believe, for NBC in Beijing, right? Yes, I will not be in Beijing, though. I'll be calling it uh, from the U.S., but the game has changed so much. And, yes, it was so important to uh, to get, first of all, of course, as a demonstration sport in 88 in, Cal in Calgary and then in Albertville in 1992, which I was a part of, to get the game changing in a more professional uh, direction. And that is certainly the case now. The teams are in uh, – they run the team as a business. Um, they're very professional, very fit, incredibly fit. Um, it's just really taken a different direction, and it's one of the biggest, fastest-growing sports in the entire world. Um, a lot of it because of that, I think. Um, worldwide, um, the parity across the world is incredible, especially in the women's game. 
just um, at this Olympics, I believe at least seven or eight of the teams could win the gold medal. There are very few sports where you could honestly say, you know, almost the entire field could win gold. Wow. Very uncommon. Yes. That is amazing. That is amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. And that's something that's happening in curling, and and a great deal of it is because of Olympic status and bringing the game into the Olympics in the 80s and now where it is today is so strong. And uh, and I think a big deal, a big part of it is getting in the Olympic Games to uh, to drive the professionalism of it. So, I so think good, good, sorry. I think a good number, Roy, is when we first started working on this project in the late 70s, there were roughly 18 countries in the world that were members of the World Curling Federation. And that was one of the initial battles that we ran up against we didn't realize while sports had been admitted to Olympics before without the minimum 25 countries, that wasn't going to be the case with curling. So we only had 17 nations. Today, the World Curling Federation has 67 members and growing. So uh-huh. it's had a huge impact. That is tremendous. And a lot of that has to do with the work that you did, Warren, um, by getting into, into the Olympic Games. So, uh, uh, you know, when our hockey teams play, we assume we have to win. If we don't win, we go into mourning. I, me- I remember 1972. I was a very young man, and I was uh, first game in Montreal. Team Canada's up two to nothing against the Soviets. We didn't like them very much at all, so we're up two nothing. And we said, "Oh, in the first, I think it was like what was it, uh, 30 seconds or something." We're up two nothing, and I said, "Well, the final score is going to be 120 to nothing." We, of course, lived through the agony of those eight of those eight games, uh, eventually winning. Um, but we have this attitude that it's ours. We have the same attitude about curling. I, I've never curled, and I've told you that, and I, I, you've kindly offered to to, um, to have me uh, receive a lesson or two, and I'm, I'm going to take you up on that. But we have the same attitude in this country about curling. Uh, Warren, Canada has to win. It's ours. But the world is good at it now. Yeah, that has whole that whole thing has changed to some degree. Many people in Canada still haven't really got their head around the fact that the rest of the world has become as good as we are. In some cases, maybe even better. And uh, from the early days when the World Championships first happened in 1959, uh, it was all always considered to be almost a, an automatic that Canada was going to win. And if you happened to be on a team that didn't win when you came home, the next year of your life wasn't very pleasant. And I unfortunately went through that situation in 1974 of being a member of the fourth Canadian team who did not win the world championship. Ouch. And so Canada became very accustomed to, oh, if you don't win, what did you guys do? Were you partying all the time? But uh, that has changed a lot. But unfortunately, the attitude still amongst many Canadians is they think that Canada should automatically win at curling. And that's not the case anymore. As Kevin has said, there's great parity in both men and women. Yeah. How much strategy is involved when you're in a really high-stakes match? How far ahead are you Are you planning? Are you thinking? And then how, how has the equipment changed, say, over the last 20 years? Yeah, well, strategy first. Uh, where are you at? At least four in, though. So probably an hour ahead is what you're playing um, at, I th- something like that. Certainly, uh, the scoreboard and even versus odd ends. It's such a chess game, curling at the highest level. You know, uh, everybody's good technically at throwing the stone. It's all about the thinking part of the game at the highest level. So the game is likely 75% strategy, 25% technical at the highest level. That's what makes it so fascinating for people that don't play all the time, like yourself, Roy, but watch the game and enjoy it. Um, That's what makes it unique and trying to figure out 
what those chess masters are playing on that sheet of ice because you do need to see into the future, and that's not easy for everybody to do. And from a technical standpoint, as far as the uh, equipment, it's, uh, everything has changed, I think. Uh, the, the curling ice conditions have improved so much um, with purified water. Um, those, the curling stones are much better. The sweepers, we talked about a little bit about the, uh, about the athleticism of the athlete now. Um, they've become so strong, both on the women's and the men's side. So carrying a stone, you can carry it much further and direct it either keeping it straight or have it finish a little bit more, uh, so much more than, than in the past. Even in 2010, which isn't really that long ago that we played in the Olympics in Vancouver, yeah. the game has changed since then uh, so much. So, you know what, it's, uh, it's exciting. Uh, the evolution of our sport, it's changing quickly because I believe the rest of the world is grabbing onto our game so much. Um, so, you know, it's just exciting to be somebody who loves a sport like I do and the changes that are happening and they're changing quick, uh, which is wonderful. And now that does cause some, some headaches <laughs> when anything changes fast. You know, it's hard to keep up and there's always going to be some stumbles. But for the most part, a, cha- a sport that's getting younger and younger all the time is healthy. That sport is changing all the time and evolving. Is healthy. It's just a lot of work to do on the back end, trying to keep it in the right direction. Of course. How do you like Canada's chances in the uh, in, in in the Olympics? Well, I certainly think we're sending some good representation on the women's side. Jennifer Jones. That's my vote as being the, the best female curler of all time. So we're sending a strong person there. Brad Gushu. You can't question Brad and, and his team. Um, really strong. Um, team, and then of course John Morris, who won the gold last Olympics with Rachel Holman, who was in the last Olympics but did not podium in the mixed doubles. So we're sending a strong contingent. Will all three medal? Boy, that's a lot to ask these days, but they certainly could. Uh, we, we wish them all the best, but it's a tough field all the way around, so it won't be easy. Yeah. Warren, uh, mixed doubles, wasn't that your invention? Yes, it was, and that came about in a rather interesting set of circumstances back around 1999-2000. The World Curling Federation was advised by the IOC that it would be good for them to have an event other than a world championship because most of the other winter sports had a World Cup circuit. So they weren't in a position to do so, and they came to us and said, uh, are we able to do something? And the result of that was inventing an event that became known as the Continental Cup, and uh, it was much like the Ryder Cup in golf, that it was the same sport discipline, but taking different aspects of it. And we needed a, a fourth leg or aspect to what we were doing. And as a result, uh, myself and my associate, Neil Houston, put our heads together, and we developed a concept of mixed doubles, not thinking it would ever probably go beyond the Continental Cup. But lo and behold, it wasn't long until a lot of the countries in the world were playing it. And in 2014, it became uh, an Olympic sport. Uh, one of the things mixed doubles has offered the smaller nations of the world, many of them don't have enough good players yet to put together two four-person teams. But with the mixed doubles concept, they're able to put together a good male and a good female. And as a result, have made a lot of these countries uh, competitive probably quicker than they would have become otherwise. Yeah. We have uh, about a minute and a half. Uh, Warren from Sticks and Stones, give us your favorite story. Um, j- just share one story with us. Oh, that's, that's a tough one. I, I think probably uh, one of the biggest challenges was the getting the athletic aspect being uh, bought into by, by all the athletes. And uh, certainly that was uh, an area where 
I could ramble on forever about some of the challenges that we faced, but we introduced a rather controversial set of training camps uh, in 1987 to uh, offer a second way to get into the Olympics in uh, 1988 in a demo sport. And uh, as a result, there was a whole pile of funny stories came out of that. The first time that some of these guys had gone through any kind of physical evaluation or fitness aspect of the, of the sport at all, which today seems funny, but uh, back in those days, it was completely foreign object to them. Yeah, uh, sort of like, you know, some of us say that when we were kids, when we were younger, fitness was getting out of your chair. If you could do that, you could do anything. Uh, Kevin, you also, people, if people are looking for good uh, curling equipment, the, the best, uh, they can get it through you, right? Yeah, it's been a lot of years, Roy, right now, I believe 31 years since uh, Sean and I opened that first curling store in Edmonton. That's a long time ago, and uh, we're still there on the university grounds at the Savile Sports Centre in Edmonton. And, yeah, I love the business and have for it. Jeez, 31 years. Hard to believe. Yeah, what's the webpage? Kevin Martin Curling. There you go. Uh, pretty simple stuff. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.